साइकोलॉजी ऑफ दर्शन माला अध्यारोपस्टेन धानादिव वटो यस्मात प्रादुरासीदम जगत स ब्रह्मा स शिवो विष्णु स पर सर्व एव सह ही फ्रॉम होम दिस वर्ल्ड मैनिफेस्टेड एज अ फिग ट्री फ्रॉम अ सीड ही इज ब्रह्मा ही इज शिवा एंड विष्णु ही इज द एब्सोल्यूट ही अलोन इज ऑल यस्मात ही फ्रॉम होम इदम जगत दिस वर्ल्ड प्रादुरासीद मैनिफेस्टेड धानादिव वट as a fig tree from a seed sah brahma he is brahma sah shivah he is shiva vishnu and vishnu sah he is parah the absolute literally beyond sarva eva sah he alone is all it is imperative that scientists and philosophers adhere to a single unitive principle in their works without a central normative idea to which everything can be related scientific explanations are impossible this is also true of philosophy which should emphasize one fundamental truth the understanding of which will illumine all other aspects of reality individual scientists may differ from each other in their private and personal beliefs but in the present context of scientific investigations and discoveries all must agree for example that matter is a unitive principle which can be used to understand all physical phenomena a rose blooming in the morning the dew drop shining on its petals the bee hovering around it the sun beams illuminating the flower the poet enraptured by this beauty the inspiration which arises in his mind his joy expressed in words and the linguistic characters by which his poetry is imprinted on paper all these are aspects of the same matter In the time of Newton the entire universe was conceived of as being made up of atoms structured as might be the grains of sand which make up a beach that is very numerous and lying close to one another yet after the advent of modern physics the whole concept of matter changed the scientific description of matter today can be likened to a handful of salt crystals lying in water some crystals are still visible although in the process of dissolving but most have already dissolved thus changing their form and becoming part of an indistinct solvent in the world of modern science matter is as mysterious to us as is spirit or god it cannot be understood in its finest and ultimate form sometimes it appears as mass but time and space are not different from it it is also that which somehow manifests as consciousness though when acting through the agency of the enigmatic vasanas it functions below the threshold of awareness in short matter has qualities similar to those described in the cosmic vision given to arjuna by krishna in chapter 11 of the bhagavad gita it is indistinct beautiful horrid plain simple or inspiring and evasive today the physicist has come to a decision concerning the fundamental nature of matter it is either a particle or a wave form as it is necessary that the science of physics should be structured on the basis of a single normative idea there is common consent among physicists that the particle and the wave form are the same 
This is like saying a fixed location and the constant movement of that location are one and the same thing. In any case, the scientist is unable to substantiate his monistic view that there is only one truth. When we come to the philosopher, he has first to decide whether his method is valid for the pursuit of truth, and he should establish the criteria he will use to decide the verity of the truth he wishes to come to in his search. Mere personal conviction is not sufficient to validate truth. Inherent in the nature of truth is a universal acceptance of it. In order to substantiate the universal recognition of his beliefs, the philosopher should inform his public what the normative idea was which he used to arrive at the truth he propounds. That normative idea should be valid enough to enable it to be adopted as a universal measuring lord. For there to be a general agreement among all peoples, there should be a simultaneity in the intellectual functioning of individual minds in spite of all personal differences. Moreover, there should be a common parameter which can be used to prove to every mind the validity of a truth when that parameter is used by every individual. When one speaks to another, he takes it for granted that the capacity of the other's mind is the same as his own. In fact, this is very often not the case. How is it that sometimes the best argument of one man can seem totally irrelevant and unacceptable to another. It is because each has a different standpoint and angle of vision which lead to diverse assessments of the same situation. Is there some way by which everyone can be brought to the same point of view? The answer is yes, there is such a way. The method is direct perception, unmodified by conditioning or mental aberration. When able to use this method, all people of goodwill can set aside individual or racial conditioning and dispassionately accept explanations of the physical world as it is presented to the senses. The Indian analogy for this is a gooseberry in the palm of one's hand. This means I hold the fruit in my hand and directly perceive it. How therefore can I doubt its existence? René Descartes, the French mathematician, and David Hume, the English philosopher, give this same idea in other ways. According to Descartes, all items of explanation come under the heading of either fact or opinion. People may disagree with regard to their opinions, but when it comes to matters of fact, there can be universal agreement. According to Hume, the compulsion to agree can arise from either a psychological or a logical necessity. The former may arise from a religious conviction, a fixed notion, a blind spot in the mind, uncritical acceptance, association of events, superstition or prejudice. Here there can be differences of opinion, but an imperative may arise that is born of logical necessity. This imperative will compel everyone to accept the same truth. Even the theory of cause and effect, approved by scientists, is, according to Hume, based solely on a psychological necessity. The ultimate conviction of truth is a certitude which can be termed as being self-evident. Thus the final criterion as to whether something is true rests with the self itself. 
In mathematics, this would be called an axiom. As an example of what is axiomatic, let us consider the geometric triangle. It is axiomatic in that only if there are three fixed points connected by three lines can we draw a triangle. Our mind will reject the possibility of any alternative ways of producing a triangle. An axiom is an example of logical necessity. Both scientists and philosophers accept a mathematical homogeneity in the structure of the macrocosmic world, which seems to be external to the self. The human faculty of intellect is capable of discovering the cosmic structure in both its macrocosmic and microscopic aspects and of reducing it to mathematical pictures such as logarithms or propositional calculus. How the Logos can relate itself to the Erismos is a major discovery, giving the human mind the capacity to understand a greater mystery to which the mind itself belongs, both as a structural part and in its operational dynamics. Apart from a wholesale intellectual approach, there is an alternative way to appreciate the totality of this world experience. It is to approach the adorable absolute with a warm and devotional feeling engendered in one's heart. This approach from the heart, though a very private and personal matter, is shared by all, including the scientist and philosopher. The limitations of experimental science and theoretical speculation bring an enduring mind to a certain frontier of imagination. Beyond that lies the vast expanse of human ignorance. At this point, it is likely that the quest for truth will emerge from the heart in the form of an appeal to a higher source of understanding. This will have the quality of a prayer. Here one enters into the cloud of unknowing, or what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. It is here that a skeptic may be transformed into a believer. An aircraft may be coming into land on an airfield shrouded in dense fog with only radar to guide the pilot. He must trust his instruments and the remote voice from the control tower and make what mental calculations he can. He must approach what he thinks is the runway, cut back the speed of the aircraft and commit it irrevocably to contact with the ground. And he must do all this in the firm belief that everything will turn out for the best. What he does blindly, but with an intuitive certainty of the validity of his calculations will have a good and safe ending. Perhaps only once in a million such operations will a disaster occur. The lives we conduct from day to day are not very different from this analogy of the jet pilot. If allowing our intuition to inform us we too make every possible effort to penetrate the mystery of truth, then it is very likely that we shall eventually do so. We share this grace of intuition with all creatures of nature and with the vegetative life. It is from this deep source that the bumblebee, for example, finds his own guidance back and forth between his hive and the distant flowers from which he is to gather honey. When a religious person makes the statement that God creates, sustains, and recalls, 
The apparent irrationality of this exceeds even the most preposterous claims which scientists think to be rational. Narayana Guru wrote the Darshanamala with the beliefs of the Indian people as its background. The one supreme truth which generates, sustains and dissolves is described in the present verse as Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva respectively. That truth which is looked for and spoken of by scientists, philosophers and psychologists is the same as that which is approached with reverence and spoken of with humility by theologians. As this truth is beyond our comprehension, the Guru describes it as para, and as there is nothing else that can be spoken of, he also describes it as the all.